Welcome back to That's Debatable. Here, we break down a controversial world issue. Then, we use evidence and research to debate both sides. The world is a complicated place, and we help you to make sense of it. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to That's Debatable. I'm Miles Avalos. And I'm Creed Finnefrock. Just a reminder that anything we say on this show doesn't necessarily represent our own opinions or the opinions of KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. This week, we will be debating whether colleges should accept SAT scores or not in the college admissions process. So one of the main problems people have with the SAT and standardized tests in general is that they tend to promote wealthier individuals. For example, for each $20,000 increase in family income, students are expected to do better on the SAT. One of the things that is that there is truth to that, uh, Wealthier students do have a lot more access to things uh, such as tutors. Um, but another thing is that, you know, there's a lot of available free online resources for poorer students too. And the dis- the differences in the scores also aren't very large. Uh, I think between wealthier and poorer students, there's only about a 10 to 20 point difference in math and then a 5 to 10 point difference in English sections. I'd say that even those small differences could probably make an impact when you're looking at a big picture, even a small thing when replicated like tens, hundreds of times. Well, no, a lot more than that. (laughs) Yeah. It can make a big impact overall because wealthier students, they can afford things like tutors and people to help them. And not not only that, they're also going to have more time because they probably don't have to work a job after school, whereas some less wealthy kids would have to. Yeah, that's definitely an aspect of it. But also, a thing that's proven to actually help more than getting a tutor or, you know, spending a lot of money on learning uh, about how to take the SAT better is actually taking multiple, the, the SAT multiple times. So if, you know, you get, you purchase a SAT practice book for like, you know, not super expensive, they're not that hard to get, then you can take those tests multiple times and you actually see maybe even more of an improvement than if you're working with a tutor because uh, you start to recognize patterns and things like that. And then another thing with SAT testing, the actual cost of the test itself, if you are not able to afford the test, you can actually talk with your school counselors and they can, can submit waivers and forms for you to get, take the test for free. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, you can still take tests with a tutor. like, And that's just going to be an extra level of benefit. So, yeah, you'll still be taking the test if you're a wealthy student, but you'll be taking it with additional guidance and some of the things to focus on. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely get more tips and stuff with the tutor. And I'm not saying that tutors aren't helpful at all. That's not true. Uh, Tutors can be very helpful, but there's resources for people who are poorer to actually be able to take those tests and do well on them. And it's not like just because they're poor, they aren't able to do well. Um, It's pretty even across the board with with the scores. There's slight differences, but you're able to access a lot of really good uh, stuff for free. Okay, another argument against colleges being able to take the SAT is that GPA by itself is actually a better predictor of how you perform in college and even your ability to graduate once you're in college. Yeah, GPA is, that is true that it tends to be a better predictor, uh, but one of the problems with only accepting GPA and not having SAT as a a universal universal baseline, basically, 
is that with GPAs, different schools do GPAs completely differently. There's some schools who have GPAs that go up to 5.0. There's some that only go up to 4.0. And then they have different things based on how the classes are weighted too. Uh, and then there's a school in Baltimore where a kid got a 0.13 GPA and scored in the top half of his graduating class, which is insane. And so there's things like that where, you know, it's part of it is the whole schools that people are coming from. That's the main issue. Okay, let's uh, not education. act like this guy's school was so hard that he just had to get a 0.13 GPA. No, it was just a really bad school. That, <laughs> yeah. was, that was part of it. But, I mean, so, if you so a lot of it is actually your work, though, like. You'll, you'll get at least like one, one and a half. I know, that's kind of <laughs> insane. But there's the whole aspect where it's like a lot of it too can just be from your school. So that's why the GPAs can't always be so trusted uh, because it really dif- differs upon the different schools. Yeah, but I, I think it's interesting that even with those inconsistencies of GPA, like you can get a four at some schools or a five at some schools. Some schools are a lot harder or easier than others. That's still a better predictor than SAT. And I think that shows you something about how effective or rather not effective that tests like the SAT are. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the things is that when they do measure the GPA, often the way they do it is comparing it to other students in that school. And so that's why class rank is an important thing you'll see on a lot of uh, college admissions. But, you know, a lot of schools don't even do a class rank. Like Mercer Island High School doesn't do a class rank. And so when I was submitting uh, applications for some schools and they're like, oh, what was your class rank? I had to be like, I have no clue. Uh, Yeah. So I so then I was like, here's an approximation of where I could be. And so that that's something that's it, it does differ between schools. And so that's why with the SAT, having that as like an extra resource for a baseline for everyone is really helpful for colleges to look at because uh, it also sees how well you can deal with being under pressure. Like, you know, test taking is not an easy thing to do. You're given a certain amount of time and you know, hey, you have to do really well on this. And so if someone does well on it, then it's a sign that they can function really well under pressure and under time constraints. Do you know if most schools do that class rank thing? Class rank? I think it's, I don't know if most schools do it, but I, I think most schools do. I, I would have to look more into that. Seems but like I, that'd I be kind of stressful schools. if it was like read, readily available information. I mean, yeah, that would be kind of funny. Like, <laughs> Checking I gotta your be skyward. top 10 in my school. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then actually that might be like a good motivator for some people, but then for others, it would completely shut them down because, you know, if they're studying really hard and they're in the bottom part of their class rank, then that, that would not be great for them. Yeah, for sure. Also, another another problem with the SAT is some of the like racial inequities that are part of the test, at least. 45% of whites and 55% of Asians that took the SAT scored 1,200 or higher in 2019, but meanwhile, only 12% of Hispanics and 9% of Black students uh, scored a 1,200 or higher. So it's problematic in that sense. Yeah, and that's something that can definitely be addressed. But a lot of that actually comes more from their wealth, uh, as you know, you had stated earlier, where wealth does make a difference. Um, a lot of that comes from their wealth and where people grow up, uh, and then it's also you know the some places where people grow up have a lot better resources with within their schools so that's part of it and there there are issues within the SAT uh, testing program but you know there those issues should be addressed instead of just eliminating the whole SAT yeah and I'm not saying it's I don't, I don't think they make questions that are like more apt for some races than others I don't yeah I don't no that's, that's not a that, thing but <laughs> I, I think the way you grow up 
as like a black person or a white person, you're, you're going to tend to grow up in certain environments, different locations that are going to make you more or less, they're not going to make you more or less wealthy, but you'll probably be more or less wealthy coming through those communities. One thing with minority students in the SAT is that the SAT can actually uh, award a lot of scholarships to people from un- underrepresented backgrounds through the College Board Partnerships. Uh, in 2019, around thir- $33 million in scholarships were awarded to students, and those numbers are continuing to grow every year. So that's one way that the SAT can actually benefit minority students uh, is through scholarships, and it brings uh, you know maybe people who had poor GPAs that score really highly on the SAT. It gives them a better you know a better chance of getting into colleges that might be more advanced. But if they had poor GPAs, then that's an indicator that they're probably not going to do as well in college either. Yeah, but that could also be based off of their school. Like once again, there's the whole, you know, SAT is great for a universal baseline, but then schools depend, you know, a lot of schools can be really good and a lot of schools can be really poor. So if someone had lived in a really poor, or not lived, but had gone to a really, really poor school where the teachers taught very poorly and then the tests were really difficult and ended up not getting as good of a GPA as maybe they would have had a better school. And so what happens with the SAT is that if they do really well, well on that SAT, then it can help them reach a better area uh, for colleges. And then the other thing is some people, they're, they're just not good test takers. Yeah. And so their performance on the SAT isn't necessarily representative of how they are as a student. Like most of college isn't just going to be like taking these super high pressure tests to decide what schools you get into. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing with taking test practice. Uh, Khan Academy is a really great place for SAT test practice. Uh, and it's seen, I think, around, you can get around 100 points better on SAT testing after like a year of practice through Khan Academy's programs. So between 100 and 200 points better. So if people just have internet access and are able to take time to study, then they're able to work on that on by themselves and then get used to the test taking process and, you know, you know, different people do have different styles of test taking, but then there's also extra assistance you can get on the SAT. Like if you're a test taker who has issues with attention or, you know, maybe needs some help, you can mark that on your app, you know, not application, but when you buy the SAT test or you set a date for that, you can mark that down and then have uh, extra help in that sense. I think you would have to get like permission from a psychologist or a doctor, though, in that case. And, and your counselor. Yeah. And your school counselor. Mm-hmm. But there there are options available for people who do struggle with test tasting. Test taking, not tasting. Yeah. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> so one college that has actually decided not to accept SATs is the University of California and the schools that are kind of under its bubble. And what they found was after they stopped accepting SAT and ACT, more minority students applied, including 48% more African-Americans, 33% more Hispanics, and 16% more American Indians. Wow. It's a so, massive increase yeah. in applications. I think people that aren't as comfortable taking tests for whatever reason, they're more comfortable to apply because of their GPA, which may be higher. That's really interesting. I wonder if that just comes from maybe their wealth or something like that. But I don't yeah, know. It's, it's kind of interesting to see why why people. I mean, it was test optional anyways, so it wasn't like there was anything preventing them. And so yeah. I don't see why getting rid of it completely would increase applications like that. Well, I, I think 
a lot of schools are going test optional. I think it's about half of them at this point. Yeah, currently half of the college in USA uh, are test optional. But even though they're test optional, I still think that those colleges are still expecting uh, you to take the SAT. Yeah. Like, like a lot of colleges, for example, take two years of Spanish, except they recommend three. I'd imagine it'd be the same kind of thing with the SAT. Where it's like you're, you're a more valuable uh, applicant in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to bring up something. So the University of California Standardized Testing Task Force uh, is a kind of interesting name, but they completed a year-long review of testing as a college admissions tool. And their findings were kind of interesting in regards to equity. The testing does not worsen disparities for underrepresented minority applicants and low-income students. Uh, instead, that's mainly from their high school uh, and, the, yeah, their high school grades. And then if testing requirements were eliminated, as they ended up being, uh, the task force found that it would deny automatic admission to around 40% of African-American students and more than 25% of low-income and first-generation students admitted to University of California today. So students who had gotten in because of their test scores uh, from the SAT could maybe now currently wouldn't have been able to get in because they eliminated the SAT. But maybe there are just as many that would have gotten in without their SAT. That's it, there's there's a whole flip flop to that. It's really interesting, um, but there there is a lot of negative things that could have also come out of the SAT being eliminated, which they ended up doing. Yeah, a lot of this argument is just. Did you do well on the SAT? Yeah. And if for, so, for people who did it. well on the SAT, they're like, yeah, let's totally keep it. Um, and then people who did poorly, a lot of them are like, no, no, let's get rid of it. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyone who I feel like this whole debate should be done by people who scored on like the averages. I think that would be really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of the people who, who are debating this are like people from working at these colleges. So um, and then another thing. For military academies, you have to have SAT scores. Uh, for really advanced schools, you always have to have SAT scores submitted. And I think that's just because they want to see how well you can do under that pressure. And uh, it's it's great. So like a lot of schools like Harvard or whatever, if you do really, really well on the SAT, they're going to look at you a lot more than you know if you didn't take it at all. Um, I'm going to stop you right there because actually Harvard is also te- test optional. They have joined the trend. Oh, no. That's crazy. <laughs> I, but, I could see you wanting it for the military schools. Yeah, military schools require it. Um, and those military schools, their average SAT scores are like between 1300s and 1400s. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. You could probably keep it for some of those like military schools because they're separate from the rest mm. of the schools, I think. Yeah. And then I think for schools like Harvard, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the average SAT score for Harvard is around 1570. I think that's what it's around. It's pretty impressive uh, how well these students score. But that's why schools uh, like military academies or I guess not Harvard anymore, but more advanced schools like that uh, tend to use SAT scores to for applications. I'm surprised Harvard wouldn't be at like 1600. <laughs> well, you know, having a perfect score for the average SAT score would be insane. So yeah, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's somewhere around there. I think there's their scores that they usually have are between 1550 and 1600. But it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Actually, correction, I looked it up. 1520 is their average SAT score, which is pretty impressive still. 
So another thing kind of related to this whole SAT debate is something called the Varsity Blues Scandal. And that was where <laughs> 33 parents, including a lot of CEOs and actors pretty much, they paid to fake SAT and ACT scores and other points of data for their kids to get into schools like Yale and Stanford. And overall, parents paid from 200000 to $6.5 million to this guy to help them fake test scores and other things to help them get into these top colleges. Yeah, that's insane. And that's that's one of the issues that's more with the test itself and not, uh, I, I don't know. I'd say that would be something that should be fixed within the test because I'm not saying the test is perfect. It's obviously not. There's no great test overall, but I think what the SAT is helpful for is just that universal baseline. Um, and, you know, just like schools, schools, there's some schools that have really massive scandals too. And it's, you know, that's within the schools themselves and we can't blame, you know, GPAs for that. So that's going to wrap it up for today's podcast. You can catch us every Thursday at 7 a.m. and as a podcast on Spotify under the name That's Debatable. Thank you for listening and have a good rest of your day.